Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, November 29th. For those that want to clown around, Diversionary Theater has a class for that. More on that next. But first, let's do the headlines. More than 1,200 sailors on the USS Tripoli are expected to return to San Diego today after a seven-month deployment. The amphibious assault carrier left Naval Base San Diego on May 2nd for the Western Pacific Ocean. This was its first deployment. The U.S. men's soccer team faces Iran in the World Cup today. The game will start at 11 this morning. The match will be the U.S.'s final match in the group stage. If they win, they will go on to the next round. If they tie or lose, they'll be eliminated from the tournament. Fans can watch the game at Guava Beach Bar and Grill in Mission Beach and Fair Play in downtown San Diego. It will also be streamed at some library locations. Go to kpbs.org for details on the watch parties. Around 250 million gallons of water are being released from Hodges Reservoir into the San Dieguito River this week. The release started yesterday and continues today. More water can be released depending on this week's weather. The release is needed because the water level is higher than the state-mandated level. The reservoir water levels rose after the last rainfall. The city-owned reservoir is mostly used to store drinking water. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. Climate change is threatening the beloved Joshua trees in the Mojave Desert. But for years, California officials have struggled to decide whether to list it as an endangered species. That's because climate change hasn't been used as a reason a species might go extinct. Kay Lee Wells from member station KCRW reports. It starts with a member of the public petitioning to the California Fish and Game Commission that a species needs protection. The Western Joshua Trees champion is a guy named Brendan Cummings. 15 or so years ago, I did the litigation that forced the Bush administration to protect the polar bear under the Federal Endangered Species Act. He's conservation director for the Center of Biological Diversity. He's litigated plenty of Endangered Species Act cases, but this one's personal. He's got dozens of them in his backyard here in the town of Joshua Tree. If you look around us here, the adult Joshua trees we're seeing were recruited into the population under a climate that no longer exists. But the case he's making isn't easy. California has never listed a species because it's threatened by climate change. There are still millions of them spanning thousands of square miles. When you list a plant as endangered, you have to either avoid killing it or move it to a new place or pay a fee for killing it. Kelly Herbinson says it's worth the trouble. She's the co-executive director of the Mojave Desert Land Trust. What we're seeing right now is unprecedented. This is serious. <laughs> and I, I don't know that that's always obvious if you're not doing this 
every day and working on the land every day and the effects. At lower elevations, the western Joshua tree is facing the worst drought in more than a thousand years. But if you were to go to, say, the West Mojave, I mean, they're mostly brown. In its middle elevations, the Joshua tree's habitat has been checkerboarded into small islands by decades of development. Joshua trees are similar to everything else where as soon as you start fragmenting their habitat, they're going to start to suffer because they're not able to um, have that genetic flow between populations. And then, of course, at its higher elevations, the Joshua tree is facing a threat it rarely encountered before. We're having significantly increased wildfires across the desert region, across everywhere. There's also the problem of the tree's lifelong partner, the yucca moth. The tree is completely reliant on the moth to survive. And the moth is completely reliant on the tree. But as the climate warms, the moth isn't reproducing like it used to. But after nearly three years at the board meeting in June... Widespread and abundant species tend to be less vulnerable to extinction. The Department of Fish and Wildlife determined that there just isn't compelling evidence that the tree could go extinct in the foreseeable future, that it has time to adapt to climate change. So they recommended the commission vote against listing. But almost all of the peer-reviewed scientists said that finding was wrong, and hundreds of members of the public showed up to voice their opinions. In one corner, you've got local politicians. Listing the Joshua tree as an endangered species will have permanent economic damages to the livelihood of my constituents. The local water board, building developers, the labor unions. This would take away a lot of the jobs that solar companies provide for us to do out there in in the vast desert that's out there. Saying that listing an abundant tree would hurt development and jobs. But then in the other corner, with conservationists and scientists, you've got national politicians like Senator Dianne Feinstein and local tribal groups. It's so intertwined in our history, our traditions, our stories. Everything includes these Joshua trees, and we owe it to them. They've protected us. They've provided for us. All making the case that the western Joshua tree is disappearing. The commission ended up putting off the decision until February. Cummings says he doubts the fight will even end then. Various business interests will undoubtedly sue And conversely, if the commission votes against protecting Joshua trees, I will sue, (laughs) attempting to overturn, you know, that unscientific decision. And Herbinson says even though the road ahead to saving the Western Joshua tree is long, she feels optimistic. I think we can do it. I really think we can do it. This is affecting all the species out here. And that we're coming up with ways to do it. I'm Kaylee Wells in Joshua Tree. San Diego hospitals are preparing for more patients after the Thanksgiving holiday. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman says it's not too late to help prevent another winter surge. Around this time last year is when COVID-related hospitalizations started increasing. Scripps Health's chief medical officer, Dr. Ghazala Sharif, says about a week ago they had 52 COVID-positive patients, and now it's risen to just over 80. So we're tracking, unfortunately at the same rate as we were last year. So we do expect that surge to come right after the holidays. Just rinse and repeat. We've done this before. Flu cases were low last year, but this November is seeing the most cases in at least a decade. 
Health officials are encouraging residents to stay up to date with influenza and the bivalent COVID vaccines. We still have a Christmas and New Year's. We still have a chance to not get back where we were last January. Uh, But that's only if everybody pitches in and does their part. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. San Diego County election results are supposed to be certified on December 8th, but the Registrar of Voters is still counting ballots. KPBS reporter Alexander Wynn explains why the counting process takes so long. As of Monday evening, there were nearly 9,000 ballots left to tally in San Diego County. Most are ballots that need to be cured or have the signature verified. Those ballots need to go through a lengthy process to confirm that they are valid, says Kim Alexander with the California Voter Foundation, a nonprofit working to improve the voting process. To make sure that nobody's voting more than once, only valid ballots are being counted. And if there's a problem with the ballot, like the envelope wasn't signed by the voter, the county is required to contact voters and give them a chance to submit a valid signature so their ballot can be counted. Another reason for the delay, more than 90 percent of voters voted by mail in San Diego this election, with some of those ballots arriving on or after Election Day. Alexander Wynn, KPPS News. Coming up, a place where being a class clown is a good thing. We'll have that story and more next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. This is the last week of instruction for the fall quarter at UC San Diego and the third week of a strike by thousands of academic workers across the UC system. Here's KPBS reporter Kitty Alvarado with an update on the contract talks. Hundreds of striking UC San Diego academic workers shut down several streets around campus Monday, marching to demand better pay and benefits. Negotiations are continuing, and both sides say they've made some tentative agreements, but they can't agree on pay, housing, and tuition costs. The whole reason we're striking is because of the fact that they couldn't bargain with us in good faith. Aide Mariscal is a teaching assistant and the UCSD 2865 unit chair. She says academic workers are the workhorses of the university system for the lowest pay. Mariscal says she's often had two other jobs to survive while also going to school and says that's not uncommon. And so it's hard to like be able to focus on all of this when you're also wondering, like, how am I going to get my groceries? How am I going to pay my rent? And that's just like a constant thing that you're like thinking about all the time. A spokesperson for the UC system says they will continue to negotiate in good faith. Kitty Alvarado, KPBS News.
The art of clowning isn't what it used to be. Students of all ages are now pursuing a form of comedy that left the circus behind. KPBS education reporter M.G. Perez gives us a look inside Clown School. I'm Ella the Clown. That's my movement. And you're all going to repeat that movement. On a Saturday afternoon in a Mission Bay Park, class is in session and Ella the Clown is the teacher, proudly wearing her colorful makeup and big red nose. This is the world's smallest mask. That's very true. But it's not a mask because it's hiding anything. It's a mask because it's helping you reveal inner truths. This is the most excited you've ever been! <laughs> Behind the big red nose, Ella is really Danielle Levsky, a certified clown, writer, producer, and educator. She teaches children how to use their imaginations through games, triggering exaggerated emotions, truthful emotions that are also entertaining, taking the audience on quite a ride. It is quite like a volcano. It starts building up, it starts rumbling, and then it erupts! And now it's very exciting, it's the big grand moment for everyone, and then it slowly goes back down and there's some joy to be found there, too. Welcome to the Sassy Salon! Ella is just one of Danielle's clown characters. So this is Baba Yana, the Soviet Jewish grandma clown. She's also based on the women in my family. All of their neuroses and anxieties and love and care, all wrapped up into one chaotic clown. Once a month, the Jewish grandmother clown is MC of the Thursday night open mic show at Diversionary Theater. Levsky also leads a weekly class at the theater, teaching adults how to clown. And feel free to play with the volume, the intonation, the movement. Brittany Wood is one of her students. I'm an epidemiologist, so I work for the county and I do like more data research for uh, opioid overdose and substance use and mental health disorders, so this is quite different from my day job. Not exactly a resume you would expect from someone learning to be genuinely funny, along with embracing the joy in failure and rediscovering their inner child. All of that part of the curriculum in this clown class, and Wood is here for it. This is like the first time I've gone on stage and really been silly in front of other people and kind of let go more. It's kind of cool that I can do that or I can show other people that side of me. Dr. Fancy is a professional clown with a mission in medicine. He's a character created by Skylar Sullivan, who is the education director at the Diversionary Theater. He also works as a therapeutic children's hospital clown. There is definitely something about connecting this deeply on a human level that is spiritual for me. We'll work with a family and, and, and the, the parent pulls us aside and say, oh, they, they haven't smiled in two weeks. It has some really cool outcomes of breaking through some of, of that weight that sometimes people, you know, experience in the healthcare setting. So the heyday of clowns at a three-ring circus has evolved to a higher purpose, and it's happening in the controlled chaos of a classroom, where Brittany Wood, the county epidemiologist, is getting closer to owning her big red nose. Like I feel like I've been making more jokes, or I've been like a little bit more like open about I don't know, using my facial expressions more, or just trying to be more engaged or more open with myself. Danielle Levsky will continue to use Ella and Baba Yana 
as inspiration for the next generation of class clowns. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Web producer Lara McCaffrey produced today's podcast. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.